Thanks for... I'm always nervous about music stands. I'm not a musician and they never, they never work for me. They just don't. So I probably won't leave it there. Good morning. And uh, you're a friendly crowd. We've enjoyed being with you. Just, we, Sue and I just said last night, we just had an evening with a few of the leaders. And it was just like we'd known you all our lives. So it was kind of very, very, very nice. Very enjoyable. Um, I just want to read something um, to kick us off and then, uh, then talk to you a little bit. Um, Psalm 24, it's, it's in the Passion Translation. Um, so if you don't have it, don't look it up. If you don't have it, you might want to buy it. And I get no help from Brian Simmons, but I do sell a lot of his Bibles, I'm fairly sure. Psalm 24, I've always loved. God claims the world as his. Everything and everyone belongs to him. He's the one who pushed back oceans to let the dry ground appear, planting firm foundations for the earth. Who then ascends into the presence of the Lord? You'll recognize that. That's who, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord. And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth. Those who never deceive, whose words are sure, they will receive the Lord's blessing and righteousness given by the Savior God. They will stand before God, for they seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. That's, that's kind of a good introduction. But what I really want to emphasize is the second half of this psalm. So wake up, you living gateways. I kind of like that. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the King of glory, for he is about to come through you. You ask, who is this glory King, the Lord armed and ready for battle, the mighty one, invincible in every way? So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you ageless doors of destiny. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. You ask, who is this king of glory? He is the Lord of victory, armed and ready for battle. The mighty one, the invincible commander of heaven's hosts. Yes, he is the king of glory. And I read it this way. There's two two pieces of this I read. Firstly, he's about to come through you. That's incredible. But I also love, and especially back in Europe, this sense of you ageless doors of destiny that you know our towns our cities our villages our nations there isn't one in europe that doesn't have history of revival of renaissance and even of reformation not one it's our history we are ageless doors of destiny and i believe sue and i both share this together we moved back to europe yes we're europeans i know that's awkward for people but we are british europeans that has got nothing to do with brexit that has got everything to do with our continent that we believe we will see in revival in our lifetime it it really isn't about politics we are we are a part of this great continent of europe that has given the world i mean i say to people we had revival reformation and renaissance before you were a country it's true. It's absolutely true. We are ageless doors of destiny. And uh, but what I want to talk about and emphasize is this thing that he's about to come through you. You, uh, you have a glory. I don't know whether you know this. I'm not sure. Sim's got a glory. That's because he plays golf, I think. But, but 
um, and I can probably prove in a minute that there's glory in golf if you really want me to, but you have a glory. I don't know whether you, you even get what that really means. See, most of my Christian life, and I can still, I can still see the preacher, a lovely man, taught me so much, but I can still visualize him in front of a congregation standing on a Sunday morning as he worked his way through, um, the, the book of Corinthians. I remember him in, it, it seemed to take most of my life for him to get through that book. And I can still see him standing there in front and going, glory, it's a weighty thing. And I, so what? I mean, really, so what? And my, in many respects, my, my kind of Christian life has, has had this, this sense of over there is some sort of glory cloud and down here is this weighty thing. And that's glory. And we sing about it all the time. We sing, you know, let your glory fall. Well, if it's a weighty thing, I want to get out of the way, probably, you know, or, or let it go forth from here to the nations. What, it, what are we actually saying? And, um, I ended up on a, on a journey of just, Asking questions of what is this thing called glory? Um, I studied the Bible the same way as I studied riots in prison because I used to investigate riots, suicides, escapes. That's one of the things I, I got to do. And I read the Bible the same way. I ask questions of the Bible. I interrogate it. And I, uh, and so I, I come up with this word glory and it, it somehow had hovered all around my life, but it always had this little bit of frustration in it. And, uh, Here's the reality. You and I have a glory. You're, you're, if you don't know this, you need, you, you, there's one thing you need to take away from this meeting this morning, that you have a glory. And I refuse to live my life between the weighty description, and that comes because the word in the Old Testament is kabod in the, in the Hebrew, which means weighty, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But the other extreme is that there's some sort of glory cloud. And I refuse to live my life pondering that and that and not knowing what this thing is that I have because you you were created for glory Isaiah 43 verse 7 says you were created for glory and um, my journey and I'm just going to walk through a little bit of my my personal journey rather than um, the way I quite often teach this but my my personal journey was that in um, 2005 I was having a conversation with God uh, Danny Silk was the preacher and I was having a conversation with God which um, I, I do remember actually what Danny spoke about on that occasion strangely but I was having this conversation with God and uh, because I'd just been asked to do something new at Bethel and as a result of that I said to God how do I father an organization I'm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, on that particular part but what, what God said to me was well first of all you need to be a son and you stop being a son the day your father died, which happened for me to be 32 years ago at that point in time. And it, it was a little bit of a sort of a slide, side, side swipe from God, it felt like to me. But it took me on a journey. Um, it took me on a journey of discovering what it meant to be a son. It, it took me on a journey of repenting, of stopping being a son, um, which kind of surprised me that I had to do that because I thought you only repented from sin at that point in my life. I missed the fact that we don't just repent from something, we repent unto something. And that actually I think we've probably spent more time use the handheld. I can, I can do that. Have you got it up somewhere around there? 
Wonderful. All right. We've spent more time in church, I think, teaching, leading people to a repentance from sin than we have teaching people about a repentance unto something. Because actually the word mean, repent means change the way you think, really. And uh, Paul in Romans says this. He said, all have sinned. Okay, deal with it. Get over it. Repent. Turn away from it. Run away from it. But we, we don't just need to repent from sin, but we need to repent unto glory. And, and so God had me on this journey of, okay, you stop being a son, you need to repent of that. You need to turn away from not being something and turn to being something. And uh, took me on a, on a journey of discovery. But the place I want to land this morning is this, that he didn't just take me from stopping being a son. He took me on a journey to being a glorious son, a glory-filled son, and he wants to do that for every one of us, that we don't just know that we've repented from being sinners, so to speak, but we've actually repented unto being glory-carrying, glory-filled sons and daughters. Paul in Romans um, says this, um, He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he called. Who he called, these he justified. Who he justified, he also glorified. See, we're not just any old sons and daughters we are glorious sons and daughters but here's the problem i don't know that we've spent much time asking what is this thing called glory that we actually have that habakkuk says the whole earth not the whole church the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of god if if you think that the only experience that you can have this week of glory is in here for an hour and 45 minutes you have a problem Because the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The problem is that when we have a church-based definition of glory, we will we will actually only encounter glory in church-based kind of Christian-oriented environments, and we will miss something. You have a glory. Uh, Psalm 16 says that my glory rejoices. The psalmist said, my glory rejoices. What, What on earth does that mean? Uh, Isaiah 43, I've already said, you were created for my glory. Um, in uh, Romans, Paul also says that we were prepared for glory. That God, God kind of, it kind of said this, says this, which I, I, I quite like the way he says it. It's like, God basically put up with us uh, and put up with our sin and, and, and the problems that we caused. He put up with that because one day he knew that these would become not vessels of shame and, and vessels of sin, but vessels of mercy that were prepared to carry glory. And uh, not only that, but, you know, when we go to heaven, we pass through 12 gates, which are 12 pearls. And if you play around a little bit with the, the order of the verses, not, I don't think it changes the, the meaning of theology. It's just easier to understand. In, in Revelation, it actually says, we'll go through 12 gates that the kings of the earth will take their glory with them. See, what we've done is we've, we've ended up reducing um, 
the Christian life to a journey to glory and, and we've made heaven, you know, you hear people talking about, you know, so and so pass to glory. Well, that's a mistake. That's a misunderstanding. We actually take our glory with us. I believe that we are part of making heaven glorious and glory filled because we will take our glory with us. So you have a glory. You were created for glory. The problem is that I, I can't just live my life on the basis that it's this weighty thing that my pastor never explained, or it's a cloud that comes into the room. There has to be something else. And uh, so God took me on, on something of a journey to uh, just to try and understand a little bit about what is this thing called glory. I personally believe it's an absolute key. It's a lot of a lot of what I was talking about yesterday um, is related to our understanding of glory. And um, I, I ended up creating a couple of definitions for glory. Um, it's, it's the way I'm wired. I, I like to define things. I think it was, uh, it was moving to America that made me realize that I need to define things better because some stuff means different things there. Um, you know, it's like, if I say to you, if I say here, I quite like my wife, you're going to send me off for some counseling. All right. But if I say in America, I quite like, you know, a young lady, it's totally inappropriate because quite in America means I really, really like you. But quite here is the jury's still out. So just to be clear, I American quite like my wife, just so that you're, you're clear on that. But, you know, it's just I, I started to realize I need to define some things. I need to actually put some words together so glory what what is it because we sing about it we have a glory we're going to take our glory with us um, to heaven with us we're actually going to lay it at the feet of Jesus so what is it what is this thing that we have so um, the two definitions that I I came up with and one of them I had checked out with a, a rabbi which was kind of fun because I happened to meet him and I said oh tell me is this okay and he said, it's exactly right. So the rabbi says, so must be good. And, uh, but it is that God's glory is the result of God expressing himself. And the more you understand God, the more you understand his glory. The more you understand glory, the more you understand God. Now, in other words, God, God expressed himself. Now, here's an incredible thing. When God expressed himself, you happened. I don't know whether that quite sunk in. When God expressed himself, God, creator, the God of all creation, he expressed himself and you happened. You, you are the result of him expressing himself. Not only that, this kind of messes with my head a little bit. There was once nothing on this earth made by man. Nothing. I mean, everything that we see here was either grown in the land, in the ground, um, was bred, was dug up or was somehow blown up, created in a laboratory. It's, it's actually staggering what man has done with the raw creation that we were given, if you think about it. it it's, to me, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, so when God expressed himself, we happened and this whole earth happened. So God's glory is the result of God expressing himself. It's said of an artist that they do two things. They express themselves and they copy. But God had nothing to copy. So he just expressed himself. So we're the result of that, which is is stunning really, isn't it? Um, I think a lot of our problem though is 
that we've still got this view of God being this old guy who sits on a throne on a white cloud and chats about Moses type stuff. You know what I mean? And if we gave him an iPad, he wouldn't know what to do with it. I have news for you. He knows more things to do with it than the people who made it. Because the glory of God to conceal a matter is the glory of kings to search it out. God hid stuff for us to discover. And and so this journey that man is on of, of growing, discovering, breeding, designing, blowing up, inventing, he actually hid it in us. For us. So that we could use those things for the glory of God. So God's glory is the result of God expressing himself. Now you and I have a glory. And our glory, I believe, is this. It's your eternal value. It's eternal because you're going to take it with you. It doesn't end at death. It's eternal. An eternal value that you have because you reveal, reflect, and point to the nature the power, the attributes, which I get from Romans one twenty, which have been on display since the beginning of time. The nature, the power, the attributes of God. I'm going to explain a little bit more of this in very practical terms in a moment. But it's really important that we get this. We are, we are not worthless sinners. We are worthy saints. Made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of the one who created all of this. And we're made in his image. No, no other creature, nothing else created was given what we were given on this planet. And we're made in the image of God. And you and I have a glory. The problem is, if we've confined that glory to the place that we go to when we die, or a weighty something, or a cloud that comes into a room, we have a problem. Because Paul said, we need to repent, as it were, from sin and unto glory. We are meant to live as glorious sons and daughters, as worthy saints. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, do you know that he honored you? Because he said that you're worth it. In fact, he said you're worth me. Because, because he saw our value, our worth, our, our glory carrying capacity, these, these vessels of mercy prepared for glory. So you and I have a glory. God's glory is the result of God expressing himself. And, and our glory is that we reveal him, we reflect him, we point to him. In everything we do. And I'm going to make this, in some places, really, really simple. And it's important that we see it as as simple. Because the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The whole earth. Not just the church. The whole earth. And a lot of what I talked about yesterday is related to this. Revival, Reformation and Renaissance really is about the glory of God. Revival is about people experiencing a personal transformation. Reformation is society being transformed. And renaissance is new expressions of creativity and inventiveness that bring glory to God. You see, we're made in the image of God. Our ability to be able to create, design and invent is a gift given to us that we are meant to use to point mankind to him. The trouble is that we end up 
ended up with the Renaissance and we did a load of stuff and we said we did it without him. It's where secular humanism was birthed at the tail end of the, of the Renaissance instead of it continuing on the path of being used to give glory to God. So much of the art and the music had a little signature at the bottom, good to God be the glory. So let's have a quick look at it. Let's do some practical stuff because you have a glory. There's a glory in the fruits of the Spirit. I, I love the little phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Anyone else like that? Yeah, I, you can see it in the kids running around here. You can just you, you can virtually work out whose kid it is because there's you know, either the looks or the behavior or the interests and that sort of thing. Well, the fruit of the Spirit means that we're apples, as it were, that didn't fall far from the tree. People are meant to see our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and go, I know his dad. I know her dad. And there's not one of us that hasn't managed to do that today. We've, we've seen that. Was it, was, your name, was it Megan? Okay. Megan. So we saw that this morning. You, Sim picked you out and, and the way that you bring joy into the room just by the way that you dance and you express yourself. There's, there's not one of us that hasn't in some way affected the world around us by the fruits of the Spirit. The problem is that there is almost a tendency for us to, at times, in, especially in a charismatic environment, to kind of minimize those things and to miss the fact that actually walking in the fruits of the Spirit is what we're meant to do. We are meant to bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control into this chaotic world. That's what we're meant to do. And sometimes that really is the most important thing that any of us can, can do in our daily lives. Now, that, that's not just about church. That's the office you go to tomorrow. That's standing at a school gate. That's whatever it is you happen to do for the other 166 and a half hours of your week that you don't spend in church. The fruits of the Spirit. And there is a glory in them because you're revealing Him because He is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the worrying one is self-control. I guess he needs it sometimes when he looks at the dumb things that I do. A little self-control. There's a, I just want you just to see that this is simple. So that you can actually see that in your daily life, you get in very simple but beautiful ways to reveal who he is to a world that knows this. I... Um, it's a slight, a slight rabbit trail, but I, it's, it's so much a part of, of what I'm thinking at the moment. It's hard not to say something about it. But, you know, the, uh, I've often asked myself, how did Jesus do what he did? How did, how did he just, in the way that he never compromised truth, how did people still love him? How, how did the prostitutes and the sinners, why did they gather around him? And we seem to live in this world where there are so many ways that we can communicate. But one of the things that we really need to learn to communicate is love. And I, I'd been asking this question, how did Jesus do it? And I was listening to Ed Silvoso recently at a conference and he said, you know, in John 1.15 it says that we beheld his glory and full of grace and truth. And Ed Silvoso said, you know, the order is really important. It's grace first and truth second. 
And this world that we have, this social media, this, this world that we have where, where everyone seems to be posting their opinions to the world, the problem with it is that we're posting truth before grace. And we need to get back to the power of, as it were, love first. People need to experience love because love softens the heart to receive truth. But truth will harden the heart against love and grace. I think it's time that we put the fruits of the Spirit on the map and said, these are really important. And we start like enjoying it in other people and, and calling it out in people and saying, you know, do you realize when you walk in the room, peace really does come in the room? I know there is another group of people that peace comes in the room when they leave, but let's not worry about that group too much. But, but to start to really emphasize this, so you have a glory because of the fruits of the Spirit. And there's not one of you that cannot see places in your daily life where that is exactly what you do, that you bring some love, some joy, some peace. You demonstrate patience, faithfulness, etc., etc. There's also a glory in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, our eldest son some years ago, it's a long story, I'm just going to tell you the headlines of it. We were in California, it was the summer, he was at a Salvation Army music school and uh, it was a music school, not a worship school. And he got involved in ministering to a, a, young, uh, a young girl there and uh, he got involved in some deliverance ministry. A couple of days later, he was sitting at the piano, which is where he loves to be, and he was, uh, they were just getting ready to do some teaching. And uh, this young girl came back in and said something to him. And uh, he prayed for her again. And he realized that she'd had some deliverance. And he, he leant over her and said, there's a song in your heart. Sing it now. And the girl began to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me not so. Which is the only theology you need when you've been delivered. You don't need anything complicated. He loves me. And a praise party erupted in the room. It literally erupted. It just, and he called us, um, and he was just so excited and telling this story about this praise party that was in a music school that was just, the roof was coming off it. And he said, at the end of it, I grabbed hold of the declaration of faith of the Salvation Army, and I read it out at the top of my voice. And daddy said, I, I then I laid on the ground and I redug the well of the Salvation Army. I, I said, I'm crying out to God, do it again, do it again. But then he, he said something at the end of the conversation. At the end of the conversation, he said this to me. He said, Dad, when I did that, I felt like you. Now, every dad wants to hear that, but he taught me a lesson. He taught me a lesson, and that is this. We all have a heavenly Father who is waiting for us to say, when I did that, I felt like you. And there is a glory in the gifts of the Spirit. And when you lay hands on the sick and you pray for them, our Father is waiting for us to say, when I did that, I felt like you, Dad. Because I was, I was revealing you. I, I was reflecting you. I was pointing people to you. That, that when we pray for the sick, we're saying, we, we worship a God whose name is Healer. That's who he is. And there is a glory in that. There is a glory in revealing, reflecting, and pointing to him, the healer. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the prophetic, tongues, interpreting tongues, all of the gifts of the Spirit have a glory because you're revealing him. I went on a trip some years ago. The details of it don't matter, but at the beginning of... I, I, 
I wouldn't put my hand up and say, you know, I'm at the front of the line for words of knowledge. I'm, I'm not saying I don't move in that, but I wouldn't say I'm at the front of the line, if you know what I mean. And I was, I was leading this meeting. I'd actually taken someone with me to help to kind of raise the bar on my words of knowledge because they, they were, walked in that stuff. And we got to the meeting and uh, I said, have you got anything? And he said, no, it wasn't much point bringing you, was it, really? And, uh, and then I, I saw a picture in my mind's eye, as clear as anything, I saw a violin and a stop sign. And at first I said, God, come on, you know, I'm a nurse. I know the parts of the body. If you, you know, why don't you give me a nice words of knowledge on the parts of the body? And, and he didn't. He gave me a violin and a stop sign. And I gave this word and I said, like, I see a violin and a stop sign. And, um, and this lady put her hand up and she said, nine years ago I was in a car accident. I used to play violin in worship, but I haven't been able to play it ever since then. I think that's me. I'm like, that works for me. I'm good with this, you know. So she came up to the front. I prayed for her. And uh, she got about 80% healed. And uh, and then I said, you know what to do, don't you? And she really did know what to do. It was one of those, like, she went home, she got her violin out, and she began to play her violin, and she got the last 20% of her healing playing her violin. What's the point? There's a glory in that. I mean, it, it's, an, it, it, it's kind of bizarre to me that God would take a Brit take him to California, send him on a trip to Texas, give him a word of knowledge about a violin and a stop sign to see somebody healed after nine years of not being able to play their violin in worship. Now, that's not about me. That's about him. We get to reveal him. There's a glory in the gifts of the Spirit. And, and there, there's just this ability, this opportunity we have that when we pray for the sick, just like Sim's story earlier on, we reveal him. This is who he is. He heals. And of course, you know, all, all of the other gifts. So there is a glory in the gifts of the Spirit. Let's, let's go for something a little bit more day-to-day practical though. There's a, a glory in being made in his image. Now, we, honestly, I think that the Christian church has, has got so much of this wrong because we've honestly made this environment here more important than the environment that you will go to from here and your family and your workplace. And there is a glory in being made in his image. And, and whether you're, whether you're a hairdresser, whether you, you know, do nails for people, whether you're, you're a homeschool mum, a stay-at-home mum, a businessman, you know, you're, you're riding a, you know, the, the dust cart and emptying the, the rubbish bins of the neighborhood. There is a glory in being made in the image of God and using that ability to reveal him, to reflect him, to point to him. There isn't a legitimate, in fact, even the illegal um, occupations kind of are just perverted versions of using being made in the image of God. Like, I've never met a drug dealer who didn't have an anointing to be a businessman. They just misplaced their gift. But there is a glory in being made in the image of God. And, and, and once we start to realize this, something changes. One of my absolute passions in life is that, give or take, 3% of you are paid to go to church. Might even be less than that. The rest of you are paid to go and do something else. But if you believe that this is more valuable than what you do, we have a problem. And that is that we have a 97% disempowered army. And I'm believing for revival, I'm believing for reformation, I'm believing for renaissance. I believe it with all of my heart. But it won't happen if we keep thinking that I must aspire to have a job in the church. 
I, I worked as a nurse for five years. I worked in prison for 19 years. I honestly would have happily carried on working in prison for the rest of my working life. It just wasn't God's plan. But the, the opportunities that we have to reveal him in our day-to-day working lives, whatever that is we do, whether it's engineering, whether it's creativity, whether, it, whether it's serving, whether it's building, it doesn't matter what it is. But the problem is that we have created a culture that has often made it feel second class. And it has to stop because there's a glory in being made in the image of God and using that. You were created by the creator to be creative, to point your, use your creativity to point man to God. And, and when the church begins to release a generation of people who absolutely know who they are, know why they're alive and know where they're going, and whether that looks like a nurse, a teacher, a designer, an inventor, a filmmaker, it doesn't matter what's on that list. But when the church starts to release people, we, are, we will see an increase of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And, and we have to get this. One of them, it, it's pretty much the most radical thing I ever said in Bethel Church in 15 years. On a Sunday night, I stood up and said, surgery is not a second-class healing. Uh, it, it was obvious to me apart from the fact that I'd just been healed of prostate cancer by a surgeon. But, but it came to be something that changed people's lives. You know, I'm at Bethel thinking, you know, people's lives get changed by being whacked and lying on the floor for hours, shake, rattling, rolling, being healed, having trips into heaven or whatever. And I find that I transformed people's lives, or God allowed me to transform people's lives, by that statement. I have friends who are doctors now who say, you transformed my life by that phrase. Because they would come to church Sunday by Sunday, they'd hear the testimony of somebody whose pain levels went from a 10 to an 8 who had cancer and somehow they feel that they were less valuable in what they did in their surgery or their doctor's office during the week. And I want people to be healed supernaturally, but I want the best of Jesus and the best of medicine. I refuse to separate them and never will separate them. But you see, if we separate them, we will have people in the in our congregations, who will feel second class. There's not not a job that's not an opportunity to to reveal being made in the image of God, serving in in restaurants, working in stores. Just the way we, we go about whatever it is we do. But it starts in here, and there is a glory in that. There's a glory in serving. How many people in here love to serve? There's a glory in it. Absolute glory in it. Why? Because Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. You're revealing him by your your ability to serve other people. Isn't that incredible? Like, it's revealing him. There's a glory in it. You see, when we we grade the things that we do, as it were, in, in life, and especially the Christian life, we will get into trouble. Because we we will actually miss out some ways in which we have the opportunity to reveal him. And there's a glory in it. Sue and I have this dream. We haven't dealt with it for ourselves yet, but we'd love to go and pay off some people's mortgages. It's just one of those conversations we have. Wouldn't that be fun just to go and pay somebody's mortgage off? What's that got to do with glory? He's a debt-paying God. If you ever have the opportunity to pay off somebody's debt, do it because you reveal him. Because he's a debt-paying God. He said on the cross, it is finished. Debt paid in full. Uh, it, there's all these... Um, 
We don't have as many drive-bys in drive-throughs in this country. We don't have drive-bys, I hope. We don't want those. But the drive-through, you know, Starbucks scenarios, there are these stories in America of people going through and, and paying for the person, you know, behind. And, and, you know, there are stories of that going on for, you know, an hour and a half or two hours. It's, it's a fun story, but actually it's revealing him because he's a debt-paying God. My wife and I once, we were at San Francisco at the Toll, which is probably one of the most boring sort of places and we'll often look at the the people who work there and think gosh this must be a really tough job just to sit there day in day out taking the five dollars or six dollars and and one day we were in the wrong line and uh and the lady in the in the line next let let us in and we were just in front of her and i said sue go on for fun pay her toll and so we paid our toll, paid her toll, and she screamed along beside us in her car, grinning from ear to ear, waving, thank you very much. And we said to each other, I bet she had fun at work today, just telling the story of some crazy person who paid her toll. But he's a debt-paying God. You see, when you, when you pay somebody's debt, you reveal him. That, that, that's who he is. This stuff's not complicated. That my whole point this morning is to is to encourage you to go out of here and to realize that that you are carrying his glory, revealing his glory, reflecting his glory, pointing to his glory more than you realized. Because I I never want church to be something that we leave and go, gosh, I, I can't live that life. Like I can't manage to live up to the you know, because and I think sometimes we've done that. Of course, we have tended to put preachers on pulpits that are so high and seem to be so out of reach. And, uh, you know, I never want that to be the case. It, I, I want to be in somebody who encourages you, who says, you know, when you serve somebody in your shop, when you're working tomorrow morning, you're revealing him. I want you to know that. I want you to know that it's in the simple, the day-to-day, the practical, the mundane of life that you actually reveal him. And you are going to take your glory with you. And, and heaven will be filled with stories of glory. Your glory. The, the time that you prayed for somebody and, and they got healed. Or, or the time you went out of your way and you, and you stopped and you picked up someone's bag of shopping that had dropped it. Or something as simple as that. And um, there's a glory in relationships. It, it's probably my favorite. And there's loads of others that I could add to this. But there's a glory in relationships. Anyone here been married more than 50 years? You guys, you YWAMers, you, you've you got that longevity thing on you for marriage, haven't you, you know? Well, there's a, there's a glory in, in their relationship. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Over 50 years of unconditional love for each other. Now, I'm not going to assume anything, but I'm guessing they might have had the odd bad five minutes in their 50 plus years. I don't need any details. But what's the point? Marriage is the greatest canvas that has ever been painted on earth to reveal the love that Jesus has for his bride. His unconditional love. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. What a privilege we get. Every legitimate relationship on earth is an opportunity to reveal the relational glory that is in heaven. Because... Heaven is all about relationship. The relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father and us, the Holy Spirit and us, Jesus and us. And every combination of that. And and he has given us the privilege in our relationships, husbands and wives, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, fathers and daughters. One of my absolute favorites, Mordecai. 
Mordecai is Esther's uncle. He adopted her. Do you know he adopted an orphaned influencer and gave her voice back? That's what he did. When, 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 even an uncle, like a relationship that we might think doesn't have quite the same intensity. No, Mordecai demonstrated that. The, the pictures in the Bible, and, and I, I love so many of the symbols of the, of the Jewish wedding, but the, the pictures in the Bible, do you know, when, when we talk about a best man, what do you think of? You think of some crazy friend who ties you up to a lamppost and puts you on a one-way train to somewhere, yeah? Yeah, something like that? No, no. The, the best man is actually the friend of the groom the best friend and is actually the Holy Spirit because the spirit and the bride will say come see in the culture of the day when a man and a woman got engaged the man found his best friend who he could trust with his bride and the best friend was sent with the bride to make sure that she stayed pure Because the bride went to get ready while the groom went to his father's house to prepare a room for us. It's a beautiful picture. It's much better than the tie you to a lamppost, send you on a one-way ticket to Newcastle picture. The Holy Spirit is the best man. He's he's the best friend. Uh, And, you know, even um, adoption, this beautiful picture of adoption that we talk about so much, you know, we need to elevate that to what it truly is. How many daughter-in-laws in here? Well, basically, if you're married, you're a daughter-in-law. I don't know whether you realize that. But you know, a daughter-in-law is the highest standard of adoption evident on earth. Now, if we say adoption, we probably think of the kids in Africa, AIDS, no mum and dad. But the highest standard of adoption is a daughter-in-law. Why? Because a daughter-in-law falls in love takes the family name and becomes a joint heir with the son. Which is what all of us do when we receive the spirit of adoption. We fall in love, we take the family name, and we become joint heirs with the son. You have a glory. That's basically all I want to tell you this morning. I want you to know that you have a glory. I want you to know that it's not complicated. I want you to know that in the everyday, daily routines, relationships of life, in what you do for a living, in how you take care of your family, in how you love your friends, in how you serve, in how you are willing to pay debts, in everyday life you have a glory. And it looks good on you. And and when we start to realize that, we live differently. Because we will realize the value that we have just in our lives. In the things that we do, the simple things that we do. Now here's the incredible thing. You have a greater glory than was on the face of Moses. It says it in the Bible. You're just going to have to trust me, Second Corinthians chapter 3. It's all about it. You have a greater glory than was on the face of Moses. And yet the people around Moses had to wear a veil because they couldn't look at him. And there's no one in here. I mean, top of my head shines a bit. There's a few of my colleagues that have the same problem but apart from that there's nobody's face that shines so much that we can't look and yet you have a greater glory than was on the face of Moses how could that possibly be it's because Moses glory was external and fading and yours is internal and increasing and 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 we grow from glory to glory by honor 
In other words, we grow by recognizing the glory on someone else. So when I see your glory, when I see that you serve well, when I, when I see your, your gifts and your skills, when I honor that, I actually grow from glory to glory myself. The simplest example for me is food. I love to cook. If I, if I sit at the feet of, of somebody who is better than me at cooking something, I learn from them, I grow from glory to glory. Because there is a glory in food. And if you don't believe that, he hid it for us to discover. He really did. The extraordinary range of ingredients and flavors and tastes and everything that is on this planet. Don't tell me there's not a glory in that. Because he expressed himself. Like, I think he likes some of these combinations of flavors that we're coming. He hid them for us to discover. But the point is this. If I sit at your feet, if you, if you can cook something better than me and I learn from you, I grow from glory to glory and I got there by honoring you. I got there by recognizing your skill, your gift, your ability to mix those things, to understand how to cook that particular thing. And it's the same with, with everything in life. I love Randy Clark's phrase when in the early days of the Toronto stuff, he said, you know, if you want to increase in anointing, hang around with somebody with more anointing than you. That's the key. It's growing from glory to glory. And you have a glory. And every day of your life is an opportunity for glory. It's an opportunity to reveal him, to point to him. And I want to close just by by ministering to a few people out of that place of glory. Have you got some ministry team as well that come around? Let me just grab. I put this drink a long way away, so it's like, if there's any ministry team, maybe we can have some come up. I'm going to pray for some people. And then I'll, I'll close with more of a commissioning prayer. There's a couple of uh, groups of people I just want to make sure we pray for um, while we're here. And praying for people is an opportunity for glory. Is, if there's anyone here, and my wife and I pray for a, a particular group of people everywhere we go. Anyone here who struggles, you can just come and stand over here maybe. Um, wonderful, the ministry team. Um, anyone here who's, who's um, struggling with infertility, you can't have children. You want to have children, you're married. Anyone here who has children who can't have children? In other words, grand, wannabe grandparents. You're a completely fertile church. Oh, we've got some over here. All right, okay. Um, anyone who has a close friend who can't have children you might think this is weird but my wife about two or three years ago prayed for somebody who had a Muslim colleague at work and uh, that Muslim colleague ended up getting pregnant after prayer And uh, now the only thing is if this is a close friend you just took on a responsibility you're going to have to go pray for him but that shouldn't be a problem why do we pray in this way? because um, Sue was healed of infertility and, and out of that, we don't stop praying for people to be healed of infertility. And, and the, one of the key pieces for us is this, that I think we spend too much time worrying about um, original sin and not enough time thinking about original design. A man was designed to conceive, carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. So if that's you, just you got a, a child that you want to... Two daughters. Two daughters. I'll tell a story, but only because he tells it. But we prayed for R.T. Kendall's son and daughter-in-law. And R.T. Kendall's a friend of ours. And I'd said to them, it's illegal for you not to have grandchildren. It's just illegal. 
He now has three grandsons as a result of that prayer. And his daughter-in-law was, was healed. And uh, I just love that story because I love RT. And it just was wrong to me. And it's wrong. It's illegal. And so we're just going to stand with you and believe for this. And uh, if you're standing, just, uh, just receive this prayer. We pray a particular prayer. It's not a formula, but we do pray um, the same way. It's, it's deliberate. That, that the people we're praying for would conceive, carry, deliver healthy full-term babies. And uh, sometimes that's through IVF. Sometimes that's through some, some help. And sometimes it's no help at all. And uh, we just believe there's no such thing as a second-class pregnancy. It just isn't one. So, Father, for everyone standing and those that are represented today, today we, we just release this prayer. And you've done it before. And you're an amazing God. You've done it before. And it is the original design of man. It's what you had in your heart when you created man, that they would go forth and multiply. They'd have babies. They'd populate this planet. So, Father, for those standing and those that are represented, today we declare that every one of them would conceive carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. Bring your healing power to those that are represented, to these two daughters of these, this man and woman of God that have faithfully served you. Father, I pray that you would release this gift to this family. And we stand in faith and we expect them to get pregnant. Pun intended. We expect it because it's the heart of God for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And uh, if you stood for a friend, you need to go see your friend and pray for them. And it's an absolute true story that my wife sent a lady away to pray for a Muslim work colleague. And a Muslim work colleague very quickly got pregnant. Um, anyone here, if you have arthritis, and particularly you have arthritis that keeps you awake at night. Is anyone here? And it doesn't matter how small a joint we're talking about. Uh, right. Just come up to the front here, and, we're, and I, I'm going to pray for you as a group, but then you can go and have some personal prayer. Uh, now, um, we, we pray for anything, but we also pray specifically things that we've seen God do. And um, I don't know how many years ago, but Sue's mum, Grace, who is, is, is my mother-in-law, who's, who's as far removed from any mother-in-law jokes that you can get, because I, I love her like my own mother. But I was leaving a house one day, and we're on a really quick visit, getting a plane. And she said, I've got arthritis in my thumb. And she literally got, threw my, her thumb at me, as it were, almost through the door, it felt like. And I grabbed it, and I prayed for it. And I said, it goes no further. It leaves this thumb. And it left her thumb completely. And, uh, and, and that's all I need. I just need to know, if you can do it for that, you can do it for the whole body. So, um, so Father, I'm asking that you would, you would end this arthritic pain, that the inflammation, the pain... Um, the swelling, any, any joints that are worn out, I'm asking you that you today would bring complete healing. And specifically, the pain that keeps awake at night, I pray for beautiful and good sleep for every one of these. Every one of these. I cancel the lie that creeps into their heads that says, well, it just happens. It just happens. You get a bit old or you've used a joint too much. It just happens. And that this, actually, you'd start with this thumb. And bring complete, complete healing. No more pain, no more inflammation. In Jesus' name, take care of this. Take care of this. Maybe the ministry team can just gather around these ones. I saw the Lord lay a line for you 
um, for the two of you. Um, he laid a, it's, uh, he's laid down a line that, that um, it's, like a, it's like a string and there's two things going to happen. You're going to pull it and there's something on the end of it that you're going to pull to you. But it's also going to give you a sense of direction. There's this um, new direction that he's, he wants to give you. And it's this combination of you pulling something towards you. And I don't quite know how it works. But as you pull it towards you, you move forward as well. And the thing that is out there to come into your lives to, to bless you is also going to be the means of propelling you on this fresh adventure journey um, that's happening and there's these two things it's like pulling and, and walking at the same time it's like a tug of war rope but as you pull it you move forward and the thing comes towards you I know that's a weird picture but I think it's this um, these two things in, in your life there's a desire in your life of something you want to pull towards you and it is actually related to a new journey a new adventure I, I don't know whether it's a place or what it is but there's these two things and the harder you pull on it the further forward you get yeah, yeah. Um, I just pray for everyone, and, and then I'll hand back over to Sim. Um, why don't you just stand? I, I just want to—I just want to commission you on a glory-carrying journey. Um, very, very quickly. Um, in, in 1997, I went to Argentina, um, and I was. Um, before I went, I'd had an interview for a promotion, and while I was there, I was promoted. And I was in outside Claudio Friedson's church and I got a fax that said I'd been promoted to run a prison. Now, I was called to the ministry in 1975, but I'm working in prison just doing what I know to do. And Claudio said to me, Paul, what's the fax about? And I said, I've just been promoted to run a prison. My first in-charge prison. And Claudio came over to me, put his hands on my shoulders. He looked me eyeball to eyeball. And he said, Paul, go back to England and run that prison for God. And in my heart, I put my call down. I said, okay, I'm good. It's all right. I'll, I'll leave that other thing, whatever that thing was that I thought it looked like, running a church, being a missionary, whatever it was, I'll leave it. It's good. I give it to you. I'll go back and run that prison for God. And I've been in church nearly all of my life. And I've seen the elders prayed for, the deacons prayed for, the pastor prayed for, the missionaries prayed for. But I haven't very often seen the doctors, the nurses, the policemen, the prison officers, the waitresses, the mums prayed for and commissioned. And my prayer is the same as Claudio prayed for me, that I'm going to pray that you go back and run your prison for God. And you'll say, I don't run a prison. But I will tell you this, if you don't believe that what you do is the will of God for your life, then you might as well be in prison. You might as well. And I'm not saying you have to do what you're doing for the rest of your life. But part of it is saying, I fully engage with this. This is my opportunity for glory right now. This is my opportunity to reveal you. So Father, today I pray that you would commission everyone here to know this simple truth that they're glory carriers. They were made in your image to reveal you, to reflect you, to point to you. Whoever they are, whatever they do, wherever they go that they're glory carriers, that in the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, in relationships, in creativity, in service, in debt paying, that they are glory carriers. And today I commission you, go back and run, as it were, your kitchen sink, run your desk, run your computer, run your office, run your classroom, run it to the glory of God. And know that as you do, you will be a part of an army that will fill the earth with the knowledge 
of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Amen.